Hello again. I'm Richard Figge, and this is for Reading Out Loud. Thanks for joining me this evening. Tonight's author is the Danish writer Hans Christian Andersen. He was born in 1805. His father's mother said that the family was descended from nobility. This was a fairy tale. When Andersen was a child, his father used to read to him from the Arabian Nights entertainments. Aside from that, Andersen seems to have had a wretched childhood living in poverty. Abused by schoolmasters for his own good, feeling very much the outsider, it is small wonder that he found consolation in his own imagination and the writing of stories. He was also a keen observer of the world and people around him, and in the fantasy world of his stories there's also often a dimension of social criticism. No wonder he hit it off with Charles Dickens when he went to England in 1847. They both had a profound sympathy and understanding of the poor and the underclass whose lives were stamped with abject poverty. I loved listening to my mother read Anderson's stories out loud to my brother and sister and me when we were children. Reading them now, I'm struck by their complexity and ambiguity, which seem to call on the reader to enter into a conversation about the stories. Sometimes he even comes right out to make it plain. At the end of his story, The Gardener and His Master, for instance, he writes, I have told the story. Now why don't you think about it? The Tinderbox A soldier came marching along the high road, left, right, left, right. He had his knapsack on his back and a sword at his side. He had been to the wars and was now returning home. As he walked on, he met a very frightful-looking old witch in the road. Her underlip hung quite down to her breast, and she stopped and said, "'Good evening, soldier. You have a very fine sword and a large knapsack, and you are a real soldier. So you shall have as much money as ever you like.' "'Thank you, old witch,' said the soldier. "'Do you see that large tree?' said the witch." pointing to a tree which stood beside them. "'Well, it is quite hollow inside, and you must climb to the top when you will see a hole through which you can let yourself down into the tree to a great depth. I will tie a rope around your body so that I can pull you up again when you call out to me.' "'But what am I to do down there in the tree?' asked the soldier. "'Get money,' she replied." "'for you must know that when you reach the ground under the tree "'you will find yourself in a large hall "'lighted up by three hundred lamps. "'You will then see three doors "'which can be easily opened, "'for the keys are in all the locks. "'On entering the first of the chambers, "'to which these doors lead, "'you will see a large chest "'standing in the middle of the floor, "'and upon it a dog seated.' with a pair of eyes as large as teacups. But you need not be at all afraid of him. I will give you my blue-checked apron, which you must spread upon the floor, and then boldly seize hold of the dog and place him on it. You can then open the chest and take from it as many pence as you please. They are only copper pence, but if you would rather have silver money, you must go into the second chamber.' Here you will find another dog with eyes as big as mill-wheels, but do not let that trouble you. Place him upon my apron, and then take what money you please. If, however, you like gold best, enter the third chamber, where there is another chest full of it. 
The dog who sits on this chest is very dreadful. His eyes are as big as a tower. But do not mind him. If he also is placed upon my apron, he cannot hurt you, and you may take from the chest what gold you will. This is not a bad story, said the soldier. But what am I to give you, you old witch? For, of course, you do not mean to tell me all this for nothing. No, said the witch. "'but I do not ask for a single penny. "'Only promise to bring me an old tinder-box, "'which my grandmother left behind the last time she went down there.' "'Very well, I promise. "'Now, tie the rope around my body.' "'Here it is,' replied the witch, "'and here is my blue-checked apron.' "'As soon as the rope was tied, "'the soldier climbed up the tree "'and let himself down through the hollow to the ground beneath.' and here he found, as the witch had told him, a large hall in which many hundred lamps were all burning. Then he opened the first door. Ah! there sat the dog, with eyes as large as teacups, staring at him. "'You're a pretty fellow,' said the soldier, seizing him and placing him on the witch's apron, while he filled his pockets from the chest with as many pieces as they would hold." Then he closed the lid, seated the dog upon it again, and walked into another chamber. And sure enough, there sat the dog with eyes as big as mill-wheels. "'You had better not look at me in that way,' said the soldier. "'You will make your eyes water.' And then he seated him also upon the apron, and opened the chest. But when he saw what a quantity of silver money it contained, he very quickly threw away all the coppers he had taken— and filled his pockets and his knapsack with nothing but silver. Then he went into the third room, and there the dog was really hideous. His eyes were truly as big as towers, and they turned round and round in his head like wheels. "'Good morning,' said the soldier, touching his cap, for he had never seen such a dog in his life. But after looking at him more closely, he thought he had been civil enough, so he placed him on the floor and opened the chest. Good gracious! What a quantity of gold there was, enough to buy all the sugar-sticks of all the sweet-stuff women, all the tin soldiers, whips, and rocking-horses in the world, or even the whole town itself. There was, indeed, an immense quantity. So the soldier now threw away all the silver money he had taken, and filled his pockets and his knapsack with gold instead and not only his pockets and his knapsack, but even his cap and boots, so that he could scarcely walk. He was really rich now, so he replaced the dog on the chest, closed the door, and called up through the tree, "'Now, pull me out, you old witch!' "'Have you got the tinder-box?' asked the witch. "'No, I declare I quite forgot it.' So he went back and fetched the tinder-box, and then the witch drew him up out of the tree, and he stood again in the high road with his pockets, his knapsack, his cap, and his boots full of gold. "'What are you going to do with the tinder-box?' asked the soldier. "'That is nothing to you,' replied the witch. "'You have the money. Now give me the tinder-box.' "'I tell you what,' said the soldier, "'if you don't tell me what you are going to do with it, I will draw my sword and cut off your head. 
"'No,' said the witch. The soldier immediately cut off her head, and there she lay on the ground. Then he tied up all his money in her apron and slung it on his back like a bundle, put the tinderbox in his pocket, and walked off to the nearest town. It was a very nice town, and he put up at the best inn and ordered a dinner of all his favorite dishes, for now he was rich and had plenty of money. The servant who cleaned his boots thought they certainly were a shabby pair to be worn by such a rich gentleman, for he had not yet bought any new ones. The next day, however, he procured some good clothes and proper boots, so that our soldier soon became known as a fine gentleman, and the people visited him and told him all the wonders that were to be seen in the town, and of the king's beautiful daughter, the princess. "'Where can I see her?' asked the soldier. "'She is not to be seen at all,' they said. "'She lives in a large copper castle surrounded by walls and towers. "'No one but the king himself can pass in or out, "'for there has been a prophecy that she will marry a common soldier, "'and the king cannot bear to think of such a marriage.' "'I should like very much to see her,' thought the soldier, "'but he could not obtain permission to do so. "'However, he passed a very pleasant time,' went to the theatre, drove in the king's garden, and gave a great deal of money to the poor, which was very good of him. He remembered what it had been in olden times to be without a shilling. Now he was rich, had fine clothes, and many friends, who all declared he was a fine fellow and a real gentleman, and all this gratified him exceedingly. But his money would not last forever." and as he spent and gave away a great deal daily, and received none, he found himself at last with only two shillings left, so he was obliged to leave his elegant rooms and live in a little garret under the roof where he had to clean his own boots and even mend them with a large needle. None of his friends came to see him. There were too many stairs to mount up. One dark evening he had not even a penny to buy a candle. Then all at once he remembered that there was a piece of candle stuck in the tinder-box which he had brought from the old tree into which the witch had helped him. He found the tinder-box, but no sooner had he struck a few sparks from the flint and steel than the door flew open, and the dog with eyes as big as teacups, whom he had seen while down in the tree, stood before him and said, "'What orders, master?' "'Hello,' said the soldier." "'Well, this is a pleasant tinder-box, if it brings me all I wish for. "'Bring me some money,' he said to the dog. "'He was gone in a moment, and presently returned, "'carrying a large bag of coppers in his mouth. "'The soldier very soon discovered after this the value of the tinder-box. "'If he struck the flint once, the dog who sat on the chest of copper money made his appearance. "'If twice, the dog came from the chest of silver.' and if three times the dog with eyes like towers who watched over the gold. The soldier had now plenty of money. He returned to his elegant rooms and reappeared in his fine clothes, so that his friends knew him again directly and made as much of him as before. After a while he began to think it was very strange that no one could get a look at the princess. Everyone says she is very beautiful, thought he to himself, but what is the use of that if she is to be shut up in a copper castle surrounded by so many towers? 
Can I by any means get to see her? Stop! Where is my tinder-box? Then he struck a light, and in a moment the dog with eyes as big as teacups stood before him. It is midnight, said the soldier, yet I should very much like to see the princess, if only for a moment. The dog disappeared instantly, and before the soldier could even look around, he returned with the princess. She was lying on the dog's back asleep, and looked so lovely that everyone who saw her would know she was a real princess. The soldier could not help kissing her, true soldier as he was. Then the dog ran back with the princess. But in the morning, while at breakfast with the king and queen, she told them what a singular dream she had had during the night, of a dog and a soldier, that she had ridden on the dog's back and been kissed by the soldier. "'That is a very pretty story indeed,' said the queen. So the next night one of the old ladies of the court was set to watch by the princess's bed to discover whether it really was a dream or what else it might be. The soldier longed very much to see the princess once more, so he sent for the dog again in the night to fetch her, and to run with her as fast as ever he could. But the old lady put on water-boots, and ran after him as quickly as he did, and found that he carried the princess into a large house. She thought it would help her to remember the place if she made a large cross on the door with a piece of chalk. Then she went home to bed, and the dog presently returned with the princess. But when he saw that a cross had been made on the door of the house where the soldier lived, he took another piece of chalk and made crosses on all the doors in the town, so that the lady-in-waiting might not be able to find out the right door. Early the next morning the king and queen accompanied the lady and all the officers of the household to see where the princess had been. "'Here it is,' said the king, when they came to the first door with a cross on it. "'No, my dear husband, it must be that one,' said the queen, pointing to a second door having a cross also. "'And here is one, and there is another,' they all exclaimed, for there were crosses on all the doors in every direction. So they felt it would be useless to search any farther. But the queen was a very clever woman, and she could do a great deal more than merely ride in a carriage. She took her large gold scissors, cut a piece of silk into squares, and made a neat little bag. This bag she filled with buckwheat flour, and tied it around the princess's neck, and then she cut a small hole in the bag, so that the flour might be scattered on the ground as the princess went along. During the night the dog came again, and carried the princess on his back, and ran with her to the soldier, who loved her very much, and wished that he had been a prince, so that he might have her for a wife. The dog did not observe how the flower ran out of the bag all the way from the castle wall to the soldier's house, and even up to the window where he had climbed with the princess. Therefore in the morning the king and queen found out where their daughter had been, and the soldier was taken up and put in prison. Oh, how dark and disagreeable it was as he sat there! And the people said to him, "'Tomorrow you will be hanged!' It was not very pleasant news, and besides, he had left the tinder-box at the inn. In the morning 
he could see through the iron grating of the little window how the people were hastening out of the town to see him hanged. He heard the drums beating and saw the soldiers marching. Everyone ran out to look at them, and a shoemaker's boy, with a leather apron and slippers on, galloped by so fast that one of his slippers flew off and struck against the wall where the soldier sat looking through the iron grating. "'Hello, you shoemaker's boy! You need not be in such a hurry!' cried the soldier to him. "'There will be nothing to see till I come. But if you will run to the house where I have been living, and bring me my tinder-box, you shall have four shillings, but you must put your best foot foremost.' The shoemaker's boy liked the idea of getting the four shillings, so he ran very fast and fetched the tinder-box and gave it to the soldier. And now we shall see what happened. Outside the town a large gibbet had been erected, round which stood the soldiers and several thousands of people. The king and queen sat on splendid thrones opposite to the judges and the whole council. The soldier already stood on the ladder, but as they were about to place the rope around his neck, he said that an innocent request was often granted to a poor criminal before he suffered death. He wished very much to smoke a pipe, as it would be the last pipe he should ever smoke in the world. The king could not refuse this request, so the soldier took his tinder-box and struck fire, once, twice, thrice, and there in a moment stood all the dogs, the one with eyes as big as teacups, the one with eyes as large as mill-wheels, and the third whose eyes were like towers. "'Help me now, that I may not be hanged,' cried the soldier. And the dogs fell upon the judges and all the counsellors, seized one by the legs and another by the nose, and tossed them many feet high in the air, so that they fell down and were dashed to pieces. "'I will not be touched,' said the king. But the largest dogs seized him as well as the queen, and threw them after the others. Then the soldiers and all the people were afraid, and cried, "'Good soldier, you shall be our king, and you shall marry the beautiful princess.' So they placed the soldier in the king's carriage, and the three dogs ran on in front and cried hurrah, and the little boys whistled through their fingers, and the soldiers presented arms. The princess came out of the copper castle and became queen, which was very pleasing to her. The wedding festivities lasted a whole week, and the dogs sat at the table and stared with all their eyes. THE STEADFAST TIN SOLDIER There were once five and twenty tin soldiers who were all brothers, for they had been made out of the same old tin spoon. They shouldered arms and looked straight before them, and wore a splendid uniform, red and blue. The first thing in the world they ever heard were the words, "'Tin soldiers!' uttered by a little boy, who clapped his hands with delight when the lid of the box in which they lay was taken off. They were given him for a birthday present, and he stood at the table to set them up. The soldiers were all exactly alike, excepting one who had only one leg. He had been left to the last, and then there was not enough of the melted tin to finish him, so they made him to stand firmly on one leg, and this caused him to be very remarkable. 
The table on which the tin soldiers stood was covered with other playthings, but the most attractive to the eye was a pretty little paper castle. Through the small windows the rooms could be seen. In front of the castle a number of little trees surrounded a piece of looking-glass which was intended to represent a transparent lake. Swans made of wax swam on the lake and were reflected in it. All this was very pretty, but the prettiest of all was a tiny little lady who stood at the open door of the castle. She also was made of paper, and she wore a dress of clear muslin with a narrow blue ribbon over her shoulders just like a scarf. In front of these was fixed a glittering tinsel rose as large as her whole face. The little lady was a dancer, and she stretched out both her arms and raised one of her legs so high that the tin soldier could not see it at all, and he thought that she, like himself, had only one leg. That is the wife for me, he thought, but she is too grand and lives in a castle, while I have only a box to live in, five and twenty of us all together. That is no place for her. Still, I must try and make her acquaintance. Then he laid himself at full length on the table behind a snuff-box that stood upon it so that he could peep at the little delicate lady who continued to stand on one leg without losing her balance. When evening came, the other tin soldiers were all placed in the box, and the people of the house went to bed. Then the playthings began to have their own games together, to pay visits, to have sham fights, and to give balls. The tin soldiers rattled in their box. They wanted to get out and join the amusements, but they could not open the lid. The nutcrackers played at leapfrog, and the pencil jumped about the table. There was such a noise that the canary woke up and began to talk, and in poetry, too. Only the tin soldier and the dancer remained in their places. She stood on tiptoe, with her legs stretched out as firmly as he did on one leg. He never took his eyes from her for even a moment. The clock struck twelve, and, with a bounce, up sprang the lid of the snuff-box, but instead of snuff there jumped up a little black goblin, for the snuff-box was a toy puzzle. "'Tin soldier,' said the goblin, "'don't wish for what does not belong to you.' But the tin soldier pretended not to hear. "'Very well. Wait till tomorrow, then,' said the goblin. When the children came in the next morning, they placed the tin soldier in the window. Now, whether it was the goblin who did it, or the draft, is not known, but the window flew open, and out fell the tin soldier, heels overhead, from the third story into the street beneath. It was a terrible fall, for he came head downwards, his helmet and his bayonet stuck in between the flagstones, and his one leg up in the air. The servant-maid and the little boy went downstairs directly to look for him, but he was nowhere to be seen, although once they nearly trod upon him. If he had called out, Here I am, it would have been all right, but he was too proud to cry out for help while he wore a uniform. Presently it began to rain, and the drops fell faster and faster till there was a heavy shower. When it was over, two boys happened to pass by, and one of them said, 
Look, there is a tin soldier. He ought to have a boat to sail in. So they made a boat out of a newspaper, and placed the tin soldier in it, and sent him sailing down the gutter, while the two boys ran by the side of it and clapped their hands. Good gracious, what large waves arose in that gutter, and how fast the stream rolled on, for the rain had been very heavy. The paper boat rocked up and down, and turned itself around sometimes so quickly that the tin soldier trembled. Yet he remained firm, his countenance did not change, he looked straight before him and shouldered his musket. Suddenly the boat shot under a bridge which formed a part of a drain, and then it was as dark as the tin soldier's box. "'Where am I going now?' thought he. "'This is the black goblin's fault, I am sure. Ah, well, if the little lady were only here with me in the boat, I should not care for any darkness.' Suddenly there appeared a great water rat who lived in the drain. "'Have you a passport?' asked the rat. "'Give it to me at once.' But the tin soldier remained silent and held his musket tighter than ever. The boat sailed on, and the rat followed it. How he did gnash his teeth and cry out to the bits of wood and straw, "'Stop him! Stop him! He has not paid toll and has not shown his pass!' But the stream rushed on stronger and stronger, the tin soldier could already see daylight shining where the arch ended. Then he heard a roaring sound, quite terrible enough to frighten the bravest man. At the end of the tunnel the drain fell into a large canal over a steep place which made it as dangerous for him as a waterfall would be to us. He was too close to it to stop, so the boat rushed on and the poor tin soldier could only hold himself as stiffly as possible without moving an eyelid to show that he was not afraid. The boat whirled round three or four times, and then filled with water to the very edge. Nothing could save it from sinking. He now stood up to his neck in water, while deeper and deeper sank the boat, and the paper became soft and loose with the wet, till at last the water closed over the soldier's head. He thought of the elegant little dancer whom he should never see again, and the words of the song sounded in his ears, Farewell, warrior, ever brave, drifting onward to thy grave. Then the paper boat fell to pieces, and the soldier sank into the water, and immediately afterwards was swallowed up by a great fish. Oh, how dark it was inside the fish, a great deal darker than in the tunnel, and narrower too. But the tin soldier continued firm, and lay at full length, shouldering his musket. The fish swam to and fro, making the most wonderful movements, but at last he became quite still. After a while, a flash of lightning seemed to pass through him, and then the daylight approached, and a voice cried out, "'I declare, here is the tin soldier.' The fish had been caught, taken to the market, and sold to the cook, who took him into the kitchen and cut him open with a large knife. She picked up the soldier and held him by the waist between her finger and thumb and carried him into the room.' They were all anxious to see this wonderful soldier who had traveled about inside a fish, but he was not at all proud. They placed him on the table, and, 
how many curious things do happen in the world, there he was in the very same room from the window of which he had fallen. There were the same children, the same playthings standing on the table, and the pretty castle with the elegant little dancer at the door. She still balanced herself on one leg and held up the other, so she was as firm as himself. It touched the tin soldier so much to see her that he almost wept tin tears, but he kept them back. He only looked at her, and they both remained silent. Presently one of the little boys took up the tin soldier and threw him into the stove. He had no reason for doing so, therefore it must have been the fault of the black goblin who lived in the snuff-box. The flames lighted up the tin soldier as he stood. The heat was very terrible, but whether it proceeded from the real fire or from the fire of love he could not tell. Then he could see that the bright colors were faded from his uniform, but whether they had been washed off during the journey or from the effects of his sorrow no one could say. He looked at the little lady, and she looked at him. He felt himself melting away, but he still remained firm with his gun on his shoulder. Suddenly the door of the room flew open, and the draught of air caught up the little dancer. She fluttered like a sylph right into the stove by the side of the tin soldier, and was instantly in flames, and was gone. The tin soldier melted down into a lump, and the next morning, when the maidservant took the ashes out of the stove, she found him in the shape of a little tin heart, but of the little dancer nothing remained but the tinsel rose which was burnt black as a cinder. You have been listening to The Tinder Box and The Steadfast Tin Soldier by Hans Christian Andersen. I'm Richard Figge, and this has been For Reading Out Loud. If you're enjoying this series, please tell your friends about it. I'd be happy to add them to my subscription list. Drop me a line, if you will, at rfiggy, that's R-F as in Frank, I-G-G-E, at Worcester E-D-U. That's it for tonight. I hope you'll join me again next week. In the meantime, be well, be happy, stay safe. All the best.